You are listening to the LTN Book Club, a bi-weekly read-along podcast positioned at the intersection of nerd and literary culture. Our show is hosted by Madeline Turnipseed and is a proud member of the LTN Podcast Network. For more information on the show, the hosts, the books they're reading, and to subscribe, please visit lovethynerd.com slash book club. Hello and welcome to another episode of the LTN Book Club podcast. Today we are talking about Three Parts Dead by Max Gladstone. We do have a content warning for the book. Uh, Some of this will be discussed uh, in today's episode as well. Um, Language, gore, violence, substance abuse, intimacy without consent, but not rape, and blasphemy. Uh, Which blasphemy is more just like, we talk about people having powers of gods, and uh, as long as you understand that this is a work of fiction, it shouldn't be a too big of an issue. Um, the back of the book description for Three Parts Dead. A god has died, and it's up to Tara, first-year associate in the international necromancy firm of Caletheris, Albrecht, and Au, to bring him back to life before his city falls apart. Her client is Kos, recently deceased fire god of the city of alt Kalum. Without him, the metropolis's steam generators will shut down, its trains will cease running, and its four million citizens will riot. Tara's job? To resurrect Kos before chaos sets in. Her only help is Abelard, a chain-smoking priest of the dead god who's having an understandable crisis of faith. But when the duo discovered that Kos was murdered, they have to make a case in alt Colom's courts, and their quest for truth endangers their partnership, their lives, and their city's slim hope of survival. This was published in 2012 by Tor Books. Friends who are with me today, introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Katie. Hi, I'm Joey. No, and I'm John. And I'm Matt. Thank you so much for being here with me. I'm Madeline. Um, from our mailbag, some comments that we have from our LTN community uh, on the book. Uh, Stephanie Crook on Facebook says, this looks really good. Unfortunately, school is in session and I can't read for fun right now. Um, Hopefully by the time this is out, this will be published probably several months after we record it. Hopefully you've had a chance to read it, Stephanie. Um, Alex Hack says, I've read a number from these series. I've really enjoyed them and hope you you like them as well. I super enjoy this series. Thank you, Alex. Um, Matt Birdsell over on Discord says, seems like a wild ride. I am Pete. Uh, Always Ryu or Chad says another series to add to the list. And Jonathan, the JM Reedy says, Ooh, y'all might know this, but Three Parts Dead is free on Audible if you're a member. Uh, And I believe the first two books uh, in the written order um, are free on Audible if you have a membership. So uh, definitely check those out. Um, I was the one who actually picked this book uh, as a recommendation for us to read. I really, really like the series because. Um, I think Max writes in a style that I don't get as often, at least in fantasy books that I read. Um, This is urban fantasy. I don't read as much of that. Um, He definitely, uh, we were talking about this earlier, uh, it's almost like a legal drama, urban fantasy, murder mystery. Um, But he also talks a lot about power in his books and who has it, who doesn't have it, and um, uses that to kind of dissect the way our actual world um, power differences work.
with that, I think we're going to sail on into the spoiler zone. Uh, so if you haven't read the book, we're about to spoil it. So stay if you want to. All right. Um, so starting out with this book, um, the magic system is known as craft, um, which is why it's called mm. the craft. It's so good. <laughs> which is why I it's loved it. <laughs> the craft sequence. Um, so tell us a little bit about the power structure of craft. I didn't like it. Tell me about that. No, I shouldn't say that. Let me, let me, I'm sorry. Let me preface my statement. And I didn't like it. It's that Gladstone punched me in the face with it. So I oh. was trying to figure out how it all works. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just there. It's like, I'm just supposed to know. And I'm like, well, I don't know. So like, I don't know Th- that part that just bothered me. Like as I got along with it and I'm reading, I'm like, okay, well this person can all of a sudden just do this. And, because it works that way. And I'm like, I kind of want to know why or, you know, what level of training, what level of craft or I would, I, I would love a prequel of Tara in, you know, what she's studying or mm-hmm. like, just so I can learn more about the magic system. Because I mean, it, he elbowed me in the face with all this craft and I'm like, cool what 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 why how necromancy i'm like this is chapter two you're raising the dead what's, <laughs> what's what's happening here so that 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 was the only part i didn't like it was just the fact that i i did not understand how the system worked it's got a really cool system there's a lot of power and stuff and i thought that was dope but i would kind of like to know a bit more background i guess which is not like me <laughs> <laughs> I totally understand that whiplash from like all of the things that craft can do and like what little explanation there is to it. Like, whoa, like how is Tara doing this? And like, how are they doing this now? And like, what's with it being like a, a currency that people use? And like, uh, how does it like work with um, one soul and everything? Uh, it's sort of like um, there's a term called in media res where like stories begin in the middle of things. And it feels like Gladstone does that with a lot of his world building mm-hmm. uh, where like, you're not like, he doesn't provide a whole bunch of exposition for how things work from the get go. Yeah. He, um, right. it's very assumptive. He it's like, you, you just know. Right. So, well, it's sort of, but like, um, he kind of eases you into it, like over time, and you kind of get a feel for it. And like, while it's, uh, while I did find it like a, a lot to absorb and confusing at first, like, um, you you kind of learn more and more as you observe, like how all the characters use and interact with craft. Is he, so and, that, think- and that's why it took me so long to finish this book, because mm-hmm. like I. Because I kept rereading parts thinking I missed something. So I'm like, well, and I, I didn't miss anything. I'm like, no, no, that's that's where I left. Okay, well, I didn't miss anything. I'm like, and then like, I remember like, ha- like it's like halfway through the book and she's, um, she does like some Superman bit. And I'm mm-hmm. like, where did that come from? Like now, now she can jump eight stories. Like, what, right. what can't you do with, with crafts? <laughs> like, there's, come on. And she so, was going from a little, getting a little OP from, from my liking just because he's just like, hey, they can do this now. Okay. 
So I'm going to read the quote that we have in our show notes because I think this is important to help us understand what the craft is. Um, I think this is Elaine Kavarian, which is one of the craftswomen, explaining the craft to one of the priests, Abelard, which we talked about in the back of the book description. Um, the craft, young Abelard, is the art and science of using power as the gods do, but gods and men are different. Gods draw power from worship and sacrifice and are shaped by that worship, that sacrifice. Craftsmen draw power from the stars and the earth and are shaped by them in turn. We right. can also use human soul stuff for our ends, of course, but the stars are more reliable than men. Over the years, a craftswoman comes to have more in common with sky and stone than the race to which she was born. Life seeps from her body, replaced with something else. Um, and so it's almost like with the craft, you can do whatever you want if you can figure out how to take the raw energy that is the cosmic energy of this universe and what you want um and so uh, akin to miracles performed by deities mm -hmm. um, like it is it is the power to do miracles and it, so we you know in our world wouldn't bat an eye especially from a christian perspective at the idea of god just doing something right like oh he did this okay great like god can do that is omnipotent um and so in the, with the craft, it's a way for men and women to become omnipotent um, in, the, in, the, in the form of deity. So much so that De Novo tries to become a god. Um, well, and then and, you have the uh, history of the god wars where the craft people and the gods fought each other because they, were, they had the same power and they wanted dominance over the world. So, Go ahead, Kenny. Well, and as far as um, it being revealed, so one of the differences between Three Parts Dead and a lot of the other fantasy we've been reading, um, because it is written in that urban fantasy-esque, because it's technically not urban fantasy because it's not technically in our world, but it does have that, like it, the style is written as far as um, like an urban fantasy would. And mm -hmm. a lot of urban fantasies, don't give you explanations for the powers right up front. Like it, it's part of the genre to reveal it slowly because they're, because it is an already established world that you're coming into. So like um, the Dresden files, technically it's set in the real world. So you're going into this world as if it's our world so the rules of magic get revealed slowly because it's almost like they don't even think about it like it's written like that and so three parts dead is is very similar in that um it, it's a style of the genre rather than epic fantasy or like most of the other fantasy books that kind of build the world for you Three parts dead is just um, being like this world just exists and this is part of it and you're just observing it. And so therefore, in your limited observation skills, this is how we're going to reveal it to you. Mm -hmm. um, I guess that's why it didn't bother me. It's like, I, I love learning about magic systems and world and stuff, but it didn't um, bother me quite as much. Um, to learn about it slowly because I've, I've read a lot of urban fantasy and it, it felt a lot more familiar for me. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, we have uh, Abelard, the priest character, who does a lot of the what is going on and gets stuff explained to him for us. Um, and that's usually that's where a lot of the reader is like, OK, thank you for explaining that to Abelard, because now I understand what's going on. But at the same time, he understands a whole lot about how his god, Koss, works. 
and has to explain that to Tara and sometimes um, Elaine. And then that's kind of how we get what we know about Ikos as well. So, And this is a soft magic system. A lot of the books we read, we've been reading as a group are hard magic systems, mm-hmm. um, which are very, you know, detailed. This is how the world works. And so, um, whereas this is more like uh, maybe Shadow Shapers, which was mm-hmm. another fantasy uh, that, you know, just kind of, this is it. It is what it is. And you kind of, but the good thing about Shadow Shapers was that we were able to um, learn with the main, the protagonist because she was learning. In this one, the protagonist, the first, when we first meet her, she's graduating from magic school. So mm-hmm. she knows what she needs to know. And getting kicked out simultaneously. Yes. <laughs> for standing up for justice, yeah. Boss, like, not, oh like, no! Not I legitimately abused. was awesome when we found out why. Mm-hmm. I know. I was like, uh huh, yeah. I would have done the same thing. I feel that. Mm-hmm. I um, almost got the impression at first that Tara was um, like a an antihero at first, based on like her attitude toward the gods, and like I, I had this impression like she has a, she had a grudge against him. Like, oh, I want to be like that. Like, and there are several points in the book where. Like she has this uh, innate inclination to like like bow before like uh, what is it um, Cyril like in one scene she's like no mm-hmm. I'm not gonna do that mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but o- over the course of the book like uh, I mean obviously she has her moments where um, like she d- has some moral compromises but um, like she does have like a moral code and more so than uh, some other characters I think. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, she's almost like a foiled for um, Elaine and Alexander since mm. both of them are just like, yeah, we're going to do what we want and who cares what, what happens to everybody else. And she's like, well, you know, I feel kind of bad for this. So maybe maybe we may, might not want to do this and maybe we should help out the peoples instead. Mm-hmm. And so like she kind of still has it almost feels like because um, I mean, both Elaine and uh, Alexander DeNovo are like much, much older craft people and have used their craft a lot more. Like Elaine had explained to Abelard, they both have like their humanity is eked away a lot more. And she- and Tara is very a much newer craftsperson, so she hasn't quite had that been under that influence quite as much. So you kind of do get that feeling that she has held on to her humanity a lot more or hasn't given, I should say, hasn't given it away as much as they have because she hasn't used it quite as much. Mm -hmm. And so therefore she's still able to see more the ethics and the pain and the consequences of other people than they can. Whereas both of both Elaine and Alexander are very much in their own little uh, chess match for domination. Um, mm-hmm. and what's interesting is that um, you can actually see that like in how we just described the craft system where like uh, um, Elaine and DeNovo and like the deathless kings have to derive their power and immortality from material things. And, like, it actually impacts, like, their, as you said, like, their humanity and their 
emotions, like their their values, like they're getting like sapped away in a sense. Mm-hmm. And Elaine's obviously not as far gone as like de novo uh or at least that's the impression you get from the beginning you don't you you don't really know like in this book where she stands um but um yeah it's interesting to see like how like uh the the powers that they gain and like what they what they sacrifice in doing that yeah and i think a lot of that is also like joey talked about the deathless kings and their name that because if you use craft long enough, you, you like your soul and your power outlives your body. <laughs> and so you can either like continue to walk around with your skeleton or inhabit any kind of other shape that you want, really, if you have the soul stuff to back it up. Um, but it changes your perspective on time. And so then your values change as well. If you are going to live as long as the mountain, your values are going to be way different than Tara, who's like 27, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's a great point. So I got, I got a couple different vibes of, especially early on as I was reading, as I was reading this, um, I first got like a matrix vibe, mm-hmm. um, partially because of one of the DOP system and just like, it was like, it's like the craft people were just Neo and they were just discovering new powers every other day. Mm-hmm. Um, but also... <laughs> I like that way of putting it. it was, that's how I felt. But also the uh, justice. Um, they felt like, you know, agents, you know, but yes. just but they had mm-hmm. to deal with the agents as the agents is taking over their body. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they had to, you know, have their agreement and they're willingly let someone take, you know, this, this suit take your body. And they got compensated for it. I was like, Hmm, like would somebody willingly just, you know, get paid and you don't remember anything and just let some suit take over your body and get paid. I'm pretty sure some people would do that. That's not that bad of an exchange, but, and also as, um, as I kept reading, it went from like Neo to Dr. Manhattan, um, <laughs> from Watchmen. Like, cause like, cause like you said, like once you get to a certain level of power, human or not you you feel like you're not one of them like they're below you they're, they're just so far beneath you and you start treating them that way and your your thought process is completely different and it just felt like all the craft people were just these dr manhattans everywhere um you know flexing their powers and you know trying to uh one up the you know uh, yeah some of them were trying to one up and others are just trying to set their place in you know in the world mm-hmm. Well, I've, what's interesting is the fact that, like, the vampires didn't feel like that. Like, normally, <laughs> if you have vampires in a story, they're the ones who are very much that, like, aloof, um, you know, separate from the world mm-hmm. perspective thing. But the vampires in this one feel much more human. <laughs> yeah. Like, it they feel... Like they, miss, they miss being human. Yeah. and and But they also feel very, like... I mean, Pelham, like, other than the fact that he can't really go out in the sun and, you know, the couple of moments where you do see him drink blood and stuff, it's like, he could be a human. Like, that's how he feels. He doesn't feel that aloofness like you would normally with a vampire. Granted, he, he was turned against his will, but it's, like, most of the time, even, even when, um that happens in other books, they still end up being very much, uh, very full of them. 
ourselves mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Like, oh, we've lived so much longer. We know better. Yeah. Pella must have read Twilight and just wanted to, <laughs> to live that life. Truth. But I think um, I think Gladstone, Max Gladstone did that purposely because often vampires are like the top predator. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this book, it's the craftspeople. The craftspeople yep. are the ones trying to live infinitely on finite resources and using up humans in the world in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, all kinds That's of metaphors awesome. there for you. Oh, uh, yeah. So I, I think he did that because vampires are still like have to make a life in and amongst humanity because they don't have the craft ability. Um, mm. Yet we don't know. I mean, <laughs> I can turn I can turn the page, the last page of the epilogue, and all of a sudden the vampires had powers. <laughs> um, so, real quick I before do, I was just gonna say, I do like how. Um, this is, and you have the constant juxtaposition of the craftspeople with the deities mm-hmm. uh, who have the same level of power, but are li- aren't necessarily limited, but have a an innate desire to to you know, like appease humanity and be mm-hmm. a part and be part, like be loved by them because they love them because they're shaped by their sacrifice and the worship. Whereas craftspeople are using the same level of power, but are like the antithesis of that because the, because the stars starlight that they use um, leeches that out of them. Mm-hmm. And so you have that, which makes sense to why we, they constantly refer to the war that happened between gods and the cross people, because you have two different people, two different groups with the same level of power with different motives. And so they go to war with each other, um, which also explains why Elaine and Alexander can be a bit heartless and sometimes because they were, they both went through the war. Um, and so it's just, they've got their own baggage when it comes to that. Um, so. Mm-hmm. Well, and, it, sorry. We've talked, uh, so just real quick, just to tell you who our, our characters are that we keep referring to. So Tara is our main character. She's the one who got kicked out from magic school. And after she gets kicked out from magic school, Elaine Kavarian, uh, who is, member of this very prestigious uh, law firm or craft firm um, offers her a job um, and they are representing Koss who has been killed uh, representing the church of Koss uh, and the uh, they are going up against the people that the church had debts to who are represented by Alexander de Novo. Um, Elaine and Alexander had history uh, worked together at one point and she Alexander feels like betrayed him, but basically said, you're doing dirty and I don't want any part of this. <laughs> um, so those are our characters. Didn't he, didn't he try to do it do to her what he ended up doing to his labs? Yes, she was a, she was a, a first experiment. Yeah. Yeah. So Alexander Nanova, if he's <laughs> Madeline earlier called him like a mustache twirly villain because he is. It, it's true. He, like, he <laughs> like old timing. I'm going to get you. Um, but he wants to be a god is his like ultimate goal. He doesn't want to be a deathless king. He doesn't want to be a skeleton. He wants to literally be a deity. Um, and so he has tried to artificially create the bonds of worship and sacrifice with other craftspeople um, in the schools where Tara went. So that's why Tara gets expelled because she burns down his lab where he was doing this nonsense, but then he just rebuilds it anyway. Um, 
because craft. Waha, I can do what I want. Um, well, that and the school didn't care that he was doing it. Yeah, they're like, oh, this is great. You know, we're advancing our own power. So obviously, <laughs> Uh, is again priorities so tara and de novo have history because he's the one who got her expelled um because he was he was uh, using her without her consent like without her knowledge like she thought she was getting some like prestigious internship where in reality he was sucking her soul dry literally um so and she actually the reason why she stood up was because she she noticed it in uh her friend her, her friend mm-hmm. I wasn't. I couldn't remember if she was a roommate, was but uh, a roommate? I think it was yeah, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and she realized what was happening, and so rather than like it wasn't in herself, like she wasn't just standing up for herself. She was standing up for her roommate and all the other people that were being used by uh, Alexander. So it was. It was definitely one of those trying to get justice for the people who didn't realize what was happening um which was pretty cool like at first when you first get the impression of tara getting kicked out of school you're kind of like what did she do to get kicked out like especially for you know people that obviously do a lot of stuff that is morally questionable (laughs) and then you find out and you're like oh so so something good she she did something good and went against the power and got kicked out okay (laughs) that makes sense you, the first chapter one, Tara, two thousand two. Chapter two, she raises people from the dead, and you're like, <laughs> exactly. Like, if she can do that, and like the school doesn't taught her to do that, then like, why did they kick her out? Oh, for having moral substance and the sense of justice. <laughs> exactly. You know? It was like, what well, bad then, thing did she do? Oh, she did the good thing. Oh, okay. Well, then in but, chapter three, uh, she steals Shale's face, and then I was off balance again. <laughs> I was like, wait. <laughs> see, I didn't see her stealing Shale's face as a bad thing. Like or questionable, I I, no. I saw I saw it as it as it was. It was an act of desperation. And she needed to get more information, so she was like, "All right, let's just cut the face off." I was like, so so sorry. Oh. "I'm sitting there like, <laughs> well, sis, like, she, yo, just wow." Yeah, and I mean, she, she saved his life see. really because she, she knew did. that uh, if justice got a hold of him, he would be gone. Like, she knew he was a suspect, and if justice, if he still had his face, justice would have. Uh, yeah just gotten rid of him and he would no longer be. So she saved his life while also preserving her ability to get the information. So it definitely was a, uh, I win, you win kind of situation. And she also kind of did because she thought he was cute. Oh. <laughs> she did think he was cute. By, yeah. but she did it by stealing his face and locking him inside his son's consciousness and inability to communicate with the world without <laughs> his permission. So again, skewed sense of morality with oh power. for sure he has the power to do it, so i'm gonna do it and it's like um yes obviously you probably should have asked that well and then the fact uh, that she caught give him the heads up even if we're not yeah. gonna ask do, do you well, want me to save you okay thing. off comes your face <laughs> <laughs> well and she carved the tracking tracking, the tracking glyph and in, in yeah. her, uh, like on his face before she put it back on so it's like um <laughs> he can't get rid of that like she literally <laughs> says he'd have to take his face back off to make it disappear <laughs> it's just like oh okay um, oh, that, that's for thing, after they'll get married and they have kids and he's supposed to go get milk and it's been 20 <laughs> minutes and she's like texting him where are you <laughs> I know where you are because I put a tracking, <laughs> tracking glyph on your glyph body on 
And he's like, <laughs> where? It's like, hmm. Another character we definitely need to mention is Justice. Okay, so we've been talking about how Tara has a sense of justice, lowercase j, but there is a capital J Justice in this story who is a reanimated corpse of a goddess named Cyril, who was the lover of Koss Ever Burning, who went off to the God Wars and died, and then De Novo and Kavarian came and, and resurrected her. Um, kind of. And kind of like, well, yes. Yeah, so no one ever gets like really resurrected. Yeah, pr- principles of necromancy is when you resurrect someone, you can't bring them back entirely. So you bring back a a version of them. Um, and so justice and a light being, version, like a, yes. like a Bud Light version. diet. <laughs> you diet. Um, there you go. But, That's but, a better but, one. But, but could they? Because they kept saying if certain conditions, like. If Koss hadn't owed anything or didn't do like they were like, well, he could come back in this way if it met certain criteria. So, yeah, and um, part of it. So, with the debts that we mentioned earlier, um, the debts are not actually money; they're his power. So they make contracts. So, um, like someone will make a contract with the church to use a certain amount of Koss's power. And then pay it back eventually with interest. Mm -hmm. So when a god dies, the people he owed his power to with the contract come to collect it because they it's still like they still need it and it's Mm -hmm. and still a debt. So it's not that they owe money; it's that they owe power. And so the more power he owes, the less they're able to resurrect. similar type like a closer version of him so essentially the more power he has intact the more his resurrection is going to be um like he was Mm -hmm. so the fact that he had a lot of debtors and that's why um tara and elaine are trying to figure the whole mystery out because they represent the church and so the church is wanting uh wanting it to be so that the debtors can't collect as much but then Alexander, who's on the side of the debtors, um, want it to be that they can collect as much as possible. So they're each trying to essentially divide up his power as much as possible um, between the parties. And while Tara and Elaine are trying to keep it together so that they, that they can actually resurrect him in some semblance of a version of himself mm-hmm. so that the city can keep running. Because, like I said in the little, like, back of the book thing, like, Mm -hmm. we need the trains to keep running. People need heat in their house. Um, They talk about how Koss had a contract with, uh, like, a a naval fleet, and Mm -hmm. they were under attack. And so they used their contract with Koss to call fire to attack the other boats that were attacking this naval fleet. Um, So, like, stuff, stuff, the world still has to turn. Um, So That's what happened with... Cyril, mm-hmm. um, and so Denovo was also on the side of the credit the creditors there, and so when he rebuilt, when they won their power from Cyril, they got left with justice. And Denovo kind of built justice, which is this like minority report level of like yes, yeah, um, of like oversight um, that they like. She gives away suits. Or like medallions that become this that you become an avatar of this goddess justice who's like a godlight. Um and it's and like a then, black oil slick oblique person. Yeah. <laughs> become like this, this hive mind. <laughs> yeah. The hive mind. 
Uh, um, and one of the characters we meet, Cat, is a black suit. Um, and the way that Denova built this was that people who became black suits became addicted to being a black suit. Like just, and it was one of his prototypes for the devotion and um, worship that uh, he wanted to find in his students in his lab because for a craftsperson devotion and worship to a God is really addiction or necessity. Like the God needs to be needed in order for the God to exist, which is not what we would understand devotion and worship to mean. And I think it's a little bit different, like with the deity versus like the way like humans can become addicted to one another Mm -hmm. as well. Well, and I mean, even if you look at like Abelard's devotion versus cats, like they have a conversation at one point where uh, Abelard's kind of, you know, confronting her about her, her addiction and her need to fill her justice addiction with, um, so she, she, uh, lets vampires suck her blood because they give you a high when they do. Um, so she's addicted to that when she's not in the black suit. Um, cause she's trying like, to, it's trying to kind of feel the hole that justice leaves. And, um, like to the point she's got track marks and mm-hmm. looks like an addict. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, like, they, they're they discussing kind of, like, he's having a conversation with her, and her point is kind of like, well, you have a god, but ours is is missing that, like, god mm-hmm. element to it. There is no, like, when you talk to him, you can talk to him, whereas that's not the same for me. It's like a, it's a hollow thing that I only get at some times. Yeah. So it, it was a very... Um, it was not a replacement for God worship when it comes to justice because of the, I mean, really because of the way uh, DeNovo built it, um, you, she, the followers of justice can't get the same connection and enlightenment and uh, fulfillment that the worship, uh, the worshipers of cost do because cost is still a living God and still replies and still has that, um, like Abelard just describes it as like the love that he feels and the connection. Um, so they have that connection, whereas Kat can never have that to justice because justice is not really a goddess. Mm-hmm. She's a mechanism more yeah. than anything. She's a craftsperson's in like replacement for mm-hmm. a goddess. Which is why mm-hmm. it's such a hollow. Yeah. It's a solar mm-hmm. panel versus a tree. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um and then so we talk about Kat and her addiction to justice and the vampire. And that brings up like something that we've been talking about a lot is the idea of um power and consent, mm-hmm. right? Um uh, because Kat um because Tara okay, so like this whole situation is just so messed up. Tara uses her craft to convince Kat to go check on Raz, the vampire, who's in the hospital because of a battle. Um, and because she doesn't want Kat to be there, well, she reattaches the face that she took without consent. Um, uh-huh. So there's that. So there's like this whole level. And she just does it because she's like, this is what I need to do to get this stuff done. And I can mm-hmm. do it. So you do it. Right. I mean, she I'm does sorry. feel a little bit bad because she knows this is exactly the thing that Alexander DeNovo did to her and her right. friends. But, she but she's like, it. I I can explain this away in my head, so ends justify the means. Yeah. Which is like the, like the motto of craftspeople. 
Yes. Yeah, it's like <laughs> little, little by little, like compromise after compromise. Mm-hmm. 100%. And then so Kat goes to the hospital bed and like forces him to bite her so that she can get high while he's unconscious because he's, he's still going to, he's, you know, he's got that reflex. Um, and it's like, and then he wakes up and there's this whole, like, you know, there's a difference between, there's like the whole idea of consent and like, he treats it very much as if he. Oh, he flat out says it. He's like, have you, haven't you heard of consent woman? Yeah. Yeah. So he's, yeah, it's, uh, he is very offended and violated by that. Um, Mm -hmm. And with, with reason. Um, But this whole, this whole book is just about like, well, the whole series really um, is playing with the ideas of power and being able to do what you want when you want and what that, how that impacts a person in your relationships with other people. Um, Oh my gosh, there's a scene that I'm thinking about. You can't, you can't. (laughs) You can't spoil it, John. Let them read it if they want to keep reading. Madeline knows probably knows exactly what scene I'm talking about because I just read it. Um, and we had a conversation about it. Anyway. Yeah. And then you have DeNovo. And then it, uh, oh, DeNovo. The, perfect, the perfect, the perfect of that for perfection of the epilogue is <laughs> DeNovo kisses Elaine without her consent. Um in the middle, in the middle of the book. Yeah, earlier in the book. In the middle of the book? Oh, yeah. yeah, And then in the epilogue, um, she comes in and activates a monster that she had previously eaten. So, (laughs) when when (laughs) Denovo built Justice, uh, Justice runs off of a little bit of power from Koss. And when Denovo did that, he planted something in costs and costs is like pipes works in the church uh, so that whenever he felt like it, he could activate it and like help bring about the demise of costs. Uh, well, and it also fueled um, the high priest. Um, the high yes. priest was able to get a whole bunch of more Extra power, power. Mm-hmm. because he made a deal with DeNovo to, um, be able to essentially siphon off Costa's power to use for himself mm-hmm. through this dagger. Mm-hmm. And the monster was guarding the dagger so that if the high priest ever screwed De Novo over, um, he had a back. A back yeah, door, the, the monster would essentially be like, ha, you're dead now. So, so the monster got activated. Abelard ran away. Elaine ate it. Then Elaine gets kissed by De Novo. Mm-hmm. without consent because without he just consent. does what he wants because because mm-hmm. he had at that point he had taken over her mind again yes. like he had again. done like he weaved his magic and she couldn't move and he was controlling her and using her power w- without mm-hmm. her and then it's like some he... 4d chess going on right there <laughs> <laughs> oh it, re- it but, felt like that she goes to visit him in jail um, activates the monster and he dies from seemingly a heart attack um, because the monster is inside of him and just like devours him. So, because she planted it in when he kissed her. <laughs> so she's like, oh, I'll get you. She, you know, 40 chess, really. She had the last laugh, but it was great. But it's like, I mean, how, not very often do you have people get the the, the justice they deserve. Their comeuppance. Their comeuppance. But the Novo got his comeuppance. 
directly related to his actions previous. So it's like, man, if you hadn't been so full of yourself and hadn't been so... Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You would have been fine. Um, so in talking about justice and how she is a, uh, a kind of reconstruction of what Cyril was, um, Cyril had followers and worshipers just like, uh, cost does. Um, and they are, since Cyril is like a moon and stone and ocean kind of goddess to contrast with cost, Cyril's worshipers are gargoyles and, they're still around and everyone in town hates them. Well, and what was interesting, it was also, that was also kind of part of the, uh, um, like the deal that was made after, after Sarah died and, uh, justice was created. It was, they didn't want, they wanted such control over justice. So they couldn't let the gargoyles be, anything but monsters because if the gargoyles were still around then Cyril still had a semblance of power like over the mm-hmm. minds of the people and um in his dealings with de novo the high priest of Kos was just kind of like now we're gonna get we're just gonna make them out to be monsters and that way we can just get rid of any influence of Cyril that we possibly can and Koss is just going to be the one and only to the point where they actually trapped Koss's consciousness in his temple. Like he could no, not go out, ser- go out searching for her or mm-hmm. feel her or anything else. Like they were controlling their God essentially um, by not letting him venture out from the confines of the city. Um, which, because if he had, he would have discovered that Cyril actually wasn't dead and she was living on in her gargoyles. So it was definitely one of those. It was interesting for the metaphor of people controlling, like, the religion and controlling the god for their own devices. Like, kind of using what he was and what he is to further their own ideas and their own <laughs> ways they think <laughs> uh Which I, is like i don't know i'm just i'm like have we read the times recently like just, <laughs> exactly like, right now it's like the last like four years of our entire like of the, U- the u.s's existence anyone like anyway well, and I, that's that's why I was making that point because it's very much applicable to the real world. I was gonna say, like, I really loved um, this point that Gladstone is making. Like, with all of that, there's this line that uh, Tara says um, near the end of the book to um, the the high priest. What's his name? I forget. Uh, Something. <laughs> <laughs> Cardinal, whatever, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Cardinal, something. Cardinal slime bag never liked you. Could see right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, why That's remember his name? The thing for me though is that, like, I actually liked the cardinal. Like, yes. I found him to. I found he's him. A, to, he's way more sympathetic than Alexander Denovo. 
Oh, he's more sympathetic, but I didn't like him at all. He he gave me he gave me the creepy vibes right off the bat. I was there, like, mm, there's like you some shady. of that here and there. You but shady. I felt like I felt like that was more of him being. Um, I I got the impression that he was like um, unsettled and like he didn't know what to do, uh, especially like with how much he hated DeNovo too. Like I, I, like you could tell he had like a. Uh, a flaming passion, pun intended, for um, <laughs> like for for justice and his God, and like the parts where he inspires his people. Like I was like, wow, this is like this is like some really good stuff. But um, Gustav, like what's Cardinal there's a, anyway going back to what I was saying about like um, uh, Tara. She she tells him like you know when he confesses to like basically uh controlling costs she says if you really feel that way maybe you never loved him in the first place mm -hmm. uh and it's this idea of controlling what you want some what you what he wants cost to be rather than what he is uh and i found that to be like a really striking message and how you have these inspiring uh wise people who can become so blinded and uh, hateful and evil because there's just this one thing that they doggedly pursue uh, like for their own selfish short-sighted reasons. Mm -hmm. Cult of personality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've read and watched too many things with the Catholic Church as a bad guy to trust anybody that's a cardinal. I was like, that, which is why as soon as I met him, I was like, nah, he's shady. Oh, Cardinal <laughs> Gustave, he's the bad guy. But Abelard is still is still a priest, and he is. Yeah, the like, priests are often heroes. Cardinals are always. Yeah. It's always the guys. <laughs> it's always the higher yeah. up guys. Yeah, it's yeah. always a cardinal. Yeah, they're all, they're never good. That's yeah. why I felt so bad for Abelard, like at the end when like he found out about the Cardinals, like, you know, what he did. It's like, no, what are you doing? Like you're doing the opposite of like what I thought you would. Like you're my inspiration, you know? Yeah. And like you, you betrayed everything that I know. It's really sad. Yeah. It's just this whole story is just a story of the corruption the corrupting influence of power. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The entire yes. series. <laughs> yeah. Spoilers. Yeah. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. It does. Mm -hmm. Well, um, and that's that's the interesting thing is like when in power, you really have to consciously check yourself when like and make sure that you're not falling into that trap. Like you have to make sure that you're not using it for your own selfish means or your own like you have to constantly self-reflect so so you're saying you're Katie, power. that the craft needs term limits yes yes, yes. yeah because there is no there is no memento mori for <laughs> craft people <laughs> there's no like remember you will die because you're not gonna die Who, yeah, like exactly. what are you gonna do you're gonna there's either no consequences. like use up all of the resources on earth uh or have to die fighting other craftspeople and get all your power sucked away from you. Well, yeah. and that's why in the book it even mentions that a lot of people don't like craftspeople because they do use up the resources and cause disasters. Like, I think it was a whole desert or something that yeah. got created. the Northern Gleb. Uh -huh. Yeah. And, yeah. like, they talk about the crack in the world, and that's mm -hmm. from, like, we killed enough gods that the planet doesn't work correctly anymore. Yeah, exactly. 
I don't understand why the people aren't like raging against craftsmen and just in holding on to the gods because the gods seem to be within an ecosystem. You know, you know they you they give they receive. Now, don't look at me that face. A lot. Oh, it's a it's a, it's a lot more cyclic than with the craftsmen. Face is what that is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's I, a, I I have a feeling like. Need? The next book in the series and the next book in the series. Okay, and so, just but, the rest so of the series. for right <laughs> now, it seems more cyclic. Like they give and receive, and it's more natural, and stuff isn't getting abused compared mm-hmm. to the craftsman just being, you know, power okay. leeches. I, yes. I had a, I had a kind of feeling, just especially since there was a whole war over it. I'm sh- like, I, I kind of have the impression that there are plenty of gods who are disgustingly despicable um in in the world because i mean there's not normally a war if like both if both sides aren't wrong like as so sure sure like i I feel like there's there's the crafts people who are despicable and power hungry but i'm sure there's probably some crafts people that are actually trying to look out for the world and trying to find like that kind of thing but then there's also the gods who, I mean, Kos and Cyril were very, it seemed like they loved their followers and mm-hmm. were very mindful and stuff. But I, I, I only read the first book, but I'm pretty sure that there's probably going to come across gods that are just like, nah, you really should have been killed <laughs> um, kind of feeling. So the, um, the thing that I think skews our perspective is that all of us are Christians. And so when we think of worshiping God, we think of, a loving church. God yeah. and the loving God, as opposed to um, so I am of you know Latin American heritage, um, and if you read how the Aztec, the Mayans, and the Incas worship their mm-hmm. God, lots of sacrifice, full on, yeah, full on blood sacrifice, you know, set, like taking people up to the altar and ripping their heart out, like mm. blood everywhere. Um, even if you think of like the Old Testament and what the sheet the sacrifice that's going on in the temple where like the the, the outer court would be like full of blood oh yeah extremely bloody um because of so like that like animal sacrifice. so and then mm-hmm. think about how much trouble like we have thinking about that as that is our god um but and that's worship of our god <laughs> yeah and we don't like thinking about our god that way um, the aspect of the fact that he did he required that kind of worship from his followers pre-christ the point where like the whole the whole temple courts were were like leveled with blood that was just running out constantly sacrifice um so like and and then you think about it in terms if you look at it from an atheistic perspective like you take that and flip it on its head and look at it from someone who doesn't worship that god Mm -hmm. um then you're like that's atrocious like why would that why would we let that happen Mm. um so and then enter in the fact that these people also have the power of gods they've discovered that how to have the power of gods and there you go and if you can and if you feel like there's injustice and you think you have the power to fight it mm-hmm. you're probably going to yep and and that's what i mean like i i'm mm-hmm. sure that like even though there are like costs and Sarah like good ones I, like there had to be a reason for the god wars kind of thing so i i'd like Yes, the craftspeople are destroying the world, but at the same time, it's like it obviously wasn't like paradise beforehand, or the war yeah. would never have come to be, kind so of thing. So it's definitely one thing that I'm 
like trying to balance with perspective. Yeah. Well, I will, I will say this. There's another setting in this, in the series, um, the major city in the, in the world. Um, and they investigate that a whole lot more in the books that are set in that city. Mm-hmm. There's Alcolum and then there's Dracetio Lex, which is another city in the area that they mentioned in this book because it's a financial center. Um, but it's, so if you want to keep reading, you like pick up two serpents rise, um, or last first snow, both happen in that, in that city, um, and investigate all of that. So keep reading. I, oh, I'm definitely, I've already got the second book. <laughs> I, I'm, I'd also like to read more. Um, and I, I wanted to say like, um, one of my favorite things about like the first one is that like, this is a book I wouldn't have, you know, heard of or even picked up had I heard of it. Cause, uh, like one of the reasons, like now I'm speaking like really generally, like one of the reasons that I joined, uh, LTM book club is to experience like books that I wouldn't have otherwise like picked up that are like tweaks on genres that I, uh, or like, a you know, they, they add in new themes and, uh, settings and twists on genres that I already like. Um, and one of my favorite things about like this book is, um, like so much of the unique world building for uh this universe and like how we're talking about like this these economic systems behind like gods with their power and these contracts and like again like i mentioned earlier like using soul stuff like as a currency like with the the taxis or like the the mm-hmm. horse-drawn like uh rickshaw things yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah that are used um like it's such a unique like economic system and like currency and again you have like the whole craft system like it's an incredibly uh there's so many original uh, or or, like just incredibly unique combinations of things uh that i've never seen like in a fantasy world before and uh, i really appreciate like um like that about like this series and like it really wants it really wants me it really gets me in the mood to learn more about like how this world functions and operates like in all these other places Mm -hmm. that are like, just, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. brief mentions, you know, (laughs) in the book, like uh, Gladstone's really great about making the world feel so much bigger and like lived in and with a huge history. That's, Mm -hmm. that's so hard to do to know, like when to, you know, describe some things and leave some things vague, but um, he has a really good understanding of like not being, too ambiguous and non-descriptive, but you know, kind of giving Give hints a little and bit. describing the important things. Yep. Absolutely. But if you don't think that he wasn't purposeful about making the currency of the world literal literal pieces of one's soul. Um, <laughs> that was the whole point. Spoilers, that was the whole point. It's the whole point. It's like you buy things with a portion of your soul, you can <laughs> lose your soul if you spend it um, or gamble away. Um, what? It's cool. not like a, the capitalist system at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And again, that comes up later. It's great. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it does. Like it, it sounds really cool to see how he'll delve into that. So we've we've talked a lot about kind of what our thoughts are on the world, and um, John and I have tried to be good about not spoiling anything <laughs> coming later in the series. Um, but do y'all have any other questions um, at the end of the book, like stuff that the questions, the story made you ask? Um, 
that you want answered. Or Nothing that I don't think won't future. be answered later. Like, it's one of those things where it leaves you with these, like, unanswered questions as far as worlds and some of the characters and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's like, I want to read the rest of this series first because I feel like a lot of them would be answered by reading more. (laughs) Yeah, I would agree with Katie on that. Um, I, I feel like one of the... Um, cliffhangers with this uh, book that will be obviously developed later is how um, uh, what's her name? Um, Kat? E- Evelyn, right? Uh, Elaine. Elaine. Elaine, Elaine Kavarian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, how Elaine lets uh, Tara, you know, stay in uh, Alkalum uh, to, you know, help out with the transition of what happens at the end and, you know, keeping track of things and uh, I, lo- I love how gladstone like kind of s- i feel like he's setting up for um like uh elaine sort of being like um yeah you'll 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 see you know like you'll you'll get over this like it's, it's kind of part of what we do you know like but yes. i'll give you this for the time being uh and I- i'm really curious to see like you know how their relationship is going to evolve like once once you know um she gets back under her apprenticeship like working with her and how there's gonna be the how that relationship's gonna change in terms of maybe some tension morally involved ethically mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah absolutely and in uh, this isn't spoilers but in future books you find out um how both sides of that conversation end out so in last first snow you find out more about uh elaine Kavarian's backstory um mm. and kind of what her experience was as a younger craftsperson and then um much closer to the god wars and then uh, in uh, Four Roads Cross, you find out about kind of like the next immediate part chronologically, um, what Tara's mm-hmm. experience is like trying to get stuff back going again in the city. Hmm. Like if you if you're like trying to figure out what happens immediately after three parts dead, or Four Roads Cross. But I would really recommend reading in published order instead of chronological so, yeah, that's, order. That's, so one of the books that we're going to recommend that you read is the series because it's published. <laughs> this, the series was published out of chronological order. Was that purposely uh, or? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So uh, three parts dead, two serpents rise. The five book came next, which I don't remember. Full fathom book. five. Full Fathom Five, right? Fathoms, yes. Okay, and then Fox uh, Force Five. Okay, okay. <laughs> five, Last for Snow, and then Four Roads Cross. That's the order of the sequence with the novella that we don't talk about. Uh, <laughs> the Ruin of Angels and, at the end. Yes, and then, um, but if you notice, each one of those titles has a number in it. Yes. So chronologically, they go Last for Snow, Two Serpents Rise, Three Parts Dead, Four Roads Cross, Five. Full Fathom, Full Fathom Five. five. Yeah. Um, and so that's the chronological order. Published order is the order that you'll find when you look up craft sequence order. There's like articles about it, pros and cons on what to read. I would recommend reading publishing order. That's what I did. I think that's what Madeline did too. Mm-hmm. There's, um, it creates some tension for you as you're reading the series. 
that I think you would miss out if you tried to read it in chronological order. Um, so. It's kind of like Star Wars where, you know, uh, I would usually recommend people watch them in the order that they came out in because mm-hmm. yeah, after you watch the original trilogy, it's like, well, what happened like during the Clone Wars and like, what, what, how did Darth Vader end up with where he was with, and what was up with Obi-Wan and Jedi mm-hmm. Order? Like uh, all those questions are so much more fulfilling to have answered like after you like watch that and then go back because mm-hmm. that's how it was, you know, that's how it came out. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, Max Gladstone has also written um, other works um, within the craft world. There are actually two text-based adventure games um, <laughs> that are not like type turn left, turn right kind of deal, but they're like, they're from um, choice of games, the publisher, uh, and they're both within the craft world and you play as a craftsperson. Um if you like the world and want to spend more time in it, I would recommend checking those out. You can you can get them on Steam or you can get them on your phone and play on your phone. I prefer on my phone because it's just, if I'm reading, it's way easier to go on my phone for that. What are they called? Uh, Choice of the Deathless and... Deathless, the City's Thirst, is that it? Oh, yeah, City's Thirst. Mm-hmm. Max Gladstone has also written... Um, number of other books uh most recently i read um empress of forever which on the cover uh the cover art for it at least in the u.s looks like um they spoofed hella from thor Mm -hmm. ragnarok the story is nothing like that i would much more compare it to um uh like a guardians of the galaxy adventure than that um and it is like um it spans planets and multiple different people groups and uh, like guardians of the galaxy um and is like uh we have to get together to save the universe kind of deal um katie you also felt like that this had a little bit of dresden vibes yeah so um as far as like the urban fantasy magic system like following up on uh like mysteries and stuff Dresden kind of has that. And another thing I thought of um, as we were kind of talking through it, um, it's the Chronicle of the Unhewn Thrones by Brian Stavelli. Um, So it's, it's more high, like high fantasy, but it has a lot of political intrigue. So it actually is about these three siblings who are, Um, They each get sent to a different area in the kingdom to train in a different specialty. Oh, yes. um, Mm -hmm. I read the first one of these, yeah. For for their throne. Um, So it's a bunch of, like, who's going to inherit the throne? What do they want? Like, how is this all playing out? Um, If I remember correctly, um, they're the emperor, their father died suddenly. So they didn't like, it's also that like scrambling to keep consolidate power. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To kind of keep things running and everything like that. So it was a fascinating series. I loved it when I read it. Mm -hmm. Um, The emperor's blades, I think is the first one. Yes. The emperor's blades is the first one. And then, uh, Providence of fire. And then the last mortal bond. And then he actually, uh, and then once you finish those, it has like a spinoff 
Um, oh, and one of the other things with this that series is that it has a lot of gods kind of like in three parts dead. And so like different people worship different gods based on what kind of their values in life. So um, there's actually a whole sect of people who are kind of like assassins for hire in a way, but they worship the death God. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like a spinoff book about one of the characters you meet in the main series and her adventures. She's very quirky, fun character. It's great. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this next recommendation is not like a direct parallel, I would say, but I think if you liked the like digging into certain like details of what it would actually like to be a, uh, a legal assistant or a, <laughs> uh, a under priest of a God uh, in a fantasy world, then I would recommend um, many Discworld books by Terry Pratchett, mm-hmm. um, particularly uh, later on in the series, either the Sam Vime series would be a good place to start because he is um, uh, captain of the, the night watch uh, in the town of Ankh-Morpork and um, through uh through the lens of comedy, uh, Terry Pratchett looks into like the implications and the ramifications of kind of the uh, expectations that we put on fantasy worlds and um, uses that to examine our, our actual reality. Um, Mm. uh, So the Terry Pratchett um, books about Sam vibes. I would also look at um, Moist von Lipwig uh, who does like, newspaper writing and then uh post office um all all kinds of like weird jobs that you don't usually get to see in fantasy um but well done any other recommendations i I don't have a recommendation but i did want to do some ask a new question because i've been thinking about this because even though we're a book club, books and movies are connected because sometimes movies come from books. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you all, if we had to cast a movie for Three Parts Dead, who would you cast as Tara? Who would you cast as uh, Abelard? Who would you cast as DeNovo? And who would you cast as Elaine? Oh, gosh. I'm not good at these. Pause for Googling. <laughs> um, I have an uh, idea what? for Tara. Um, Tayona Paris. Tayona uh, Paris? She, yeah. Yes. From, um, she's, uh, she plays she's the one in Monica Rambeau. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I thought of her instantly when you said that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Elaine, oh, what's the... So I have the picture of the actress. And I can't... I don't know her name. What Zendaya would also be a good cast. I was actually thinking Zendaya, Zendaya as well for uh-huh. for Tara, but um, for Elaine, I have one, and it like I don't know her name, and I'm trying to think of where the picture I have in my head came from. Um, I would say Kate she Blanchett. Old? No, I would say Kate Blanchett for she is older. Elaine Cameron. The uh, no, I want it to be um, Judy Dench, Dame Judy Dench. Okay, Mm -hmm. 
or um, no I, like I, this one is is like she has a lot more sharp features like i don't i don't think the like soft does well um i don't i don't i'll i might i might uh think of it <laughs> much later uh, and then uh, Avalard, there's this like oh i want it to be what's his name the guy from um he was in little women he's also in the dune remake um what's his name it's some oh timothy chalamet Oh, yeah. That's what I mean. He just gives me that like one. Yeah. No. Yep. That's that's a good one. Overly nicotine. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. The the, the, you know neurotic. Yeah, I can see that. I I just thought of um. I'm just thinking of random people like for Abelard, uh, George McKay. He's a um. He's an actor in 1917. Um character does he play as um mm, he's oh. he's too he's too put together though oh you can just, just put him up and you're, you're, you're you are too fine to play this character no, no, no. i mean like he doesn't he doesn't have that like uh Especially. emancipated Especially. look that yeah he doesn't, he doesn't have an look. Look. he doesn't look free enough you you don't look free <laughs> Uh, Joey, you actually in our um, server you posted that uh, somebody from Uncharted kind of. Oh yes, that's of, right. Uh, Alexander uh, DeNovo. Yes, um, it's I don't know the actor behind the character, but um, oh, w- which channel is that in? That's Madeline. in Chapter Ten and Chapter Twelve. Oh, chapter it, it's Asav from Uncharted: mm. The Lost Legacy. Like I, I just see him and just put him in a tweed j- jacket. And that's Denovo. Yes, yes, actually, <laughs> same, yeah. same kind of personality too. Like it, in the game, like he's this really educated, um, like classy dude, but he's really like oh, oh vicious and predatorial, like so, under the surface. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but uh, Osman Ali is the guy who does the voice acting for him. And he was the guy who had the hook hands in a series of unfortunate events on Netflix. Oh, um, which like seeing him and then like thinking of De- like thinking of that character and then thinking of DeNovo. I'm like, wait, what's his name? Like, I don't Osman Ali. Uh, oh, oh yeah, that's right. I need to finish the unfortunate events series. Yeah, the the actual actor doesn't look like how i would see de novo <laughs> yeah too much okay. but asav like in the game like definitely does for me yep 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 um all right uh thank you all so much for joining me uh who are you once more and where can we find you on the internet i'm katie tejador and you can find me on twitter at krr tejador which is t-e-j-e-d-o-r uh, i'm joey thurmond and you can find me on Twitter at saveasdoc.com. Not, not dot com. That's, that's my <laughs> website. My website is also saveasdoc.com. Um, but yeah, Twitter and my website. And I'm John Campoverde. You can find me on Twitter at, at jcamp underscore over underscore day. Or you can find me on Twitch twitch.tv slash Alenshin, A-L-L-E-N-T-I-L-N. Or you can check out my website, AlenshinTV.com. And I am Matt Williams, a.k.a. Rockin' Mr. Magic. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and twitch.tv 
at Rockin, R-O-C-K-I-N-M-R-M-A-G-I-C. And I am Madeline Turnipseed. You can find me on Twitter like once every two weeks at <laughs> mad underscore seed. Um, almost, I think all of us have written for Love Thy Nerd as well. We're also in the LTN community on Facebook and on Facebook and on Discord. Um, thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, stay tuned in the LTN community to see what we're reading next. Um, if you have thoughts for the book we're discussing that we might read on air or books that you'd like to suggest for us a read, to read, you can drop me a line at madeline at lovethynerd.com. Be sure to check out all of the podcasts on the Love Thy Nerd podcast network and also on LTN Radio. Um, pull list, Humans of Gaming, Free Play, Church Nerds, Two Words, and LTN Book Club. We're gar- garnering quite a stable of podcasts. <laughs> Be sure to connect with us on all your social media platforms. Just search Love Thy Nerd or find links on our website, lovethynerd.com. Thank you so much. This has been the LTN Book Club. Our show is hosted by Madeline Turnipseed and is a proud member of the LTN Podcast Network. For more information on the show, the hosts, the books they're reading, and to subscribe, please visit lovethynerd.com slash book club.